Welcome back to Killer Queens. This is episode 31. 31. I can't believe you didn't say it. Oh, I'm gonna say it. (laughs) 31. 31. Here we are. We're gonna run that one into the ground. We've got eight more. Yeah, I bet everybody's gonna really love that. I have some ideas for the 40s. Oh. Oh. I like it. Farty one. (laughs) Some farty one. Um, I'm Torella. I'm Tori. But who can know these things? We sound exactly the same, so. Exactly. No one's going to know the difference. Oh, and there's Jesse. Oh, yeah, there's Jesse. Still on maternity leave, so, you know, it's either the baby comes along or there's no no episodes. episodes. (laughs) Yeah. So, this episode is the murder of Hannah Hill, and Torella's never heard it, so um, no one spoil it for her, I guess. <laughs> um, I think by the time this hits, um, you know, that will be impossible. <laughs> I'm just pretending like they're all here right now with us. Okay. Gall. So this is set in Akron, Ohio in May 1999. 90s. The good years. Love it. But not for Hannah Hill. R.I.P. Sorry, girl. Yeah. Um, Hannah at the time was 19 years old and she lived with her parents. She's the only daughter of a truck driver and a housewife. And she was crowned winter queen. And she was studying to be or was about to start a job as a secretary. And um, she just bought herself a new car. She was... um, you know, kind of just starting out in life and she was excited about it. She had a best friend named Jennifer Edwards, um, who said she was real social. They hung out with friends. They went on the weekends, of course. Um, and she had a boyfriend named Brad Oborn, who was 19 as well. And Hannah lived with him for a little bit before moving back in with her parents. Like they didn't live together very long, but they, but they did live together and friends of both Brad and Hannah, had said that they were, they had a kind of a tumultuous relationship. It was a little toxic. They argued a lot. Um, and at times, Oborn had been physically abusive towards Hannah. Ooh, I don't like that. I know. Um, on Wednesday, May 19th, Hannah went home from work. She changed into her pajamas and um, she planned to stay home. She had talked to Jennifer Edwards on the phone and um, Jennifer asked her, what she planned to do that night, and she said that she was just going to have a quiet night in, and that she was just going to stay home. Um, and then after she got the phone with um, Jennifer, she made another phone call, and then she got dressed and decided to go out. And so she gets up, she tells her mom, Kimberly, that she was leaving, and so she left around 10.30 p.m. that night. Her mother said that Hannah appeared to be bothered or distraught, um... Hannah told her mother that she would see her later, and then she left. And Hannah never returned home. Mm. So um, her parents thought that she was at a friend's house, and so they called around. They didn't find out that she was with anybody, and then they found out that she didn't go to work the next day, and that was really unlike Hannah to just skip out on work or anything. So the evening of May 20th, Kimberly Hill went to the police station and filed a missing persons report. And she had described 
like what Hannah was driving because Hannah took her own car and the car that she was driving was a 1996 Geo Prism. Hmm. Um, police, they did not act immediately on the missing persons report. Because she's 19, she can go missing if she wants to. Exactly. Um, and, of course, yeah, they later stated, like, there was no obvious reason why they didn't take any immediate action, but they were later, they later stated that people around Hannah's age left home for days at a time, all the, or for a few days all the time, and so they didn't have any reason to suspect foul play. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I go back and forth with how I feel about that, because that's true, kids can do stuff like that, but... And the police can't, I mean, I wonder how many of those reports they get. And it is just like a kid who went to a friend's house or whatever. But at the same time, it's like your family knows if it's so unlike you. Like, if that would have happened to one of us, not the not going to work for me, that's par for the course Mm -hmm. at that age. But, like, if I had just not come home and didn't tell them and they couldn't find me for a whole day, that would mean something's wrong. Right. Because I would tell them oh definitely yeah like where I was or when I was coming home or whatever like well and you know your kids I feel like you know it's like if if they're not gonna show up and you know especially if they don't with Hannah being a responsible right young adult um we were never responsible so that wouldn't like you said have been any cause for alarm but right Kimberly knew Hannah and she knew that obviously if there was a reason why she wasn't home and she didn't get a phone call then something was going on and right. they didn't have, I don't think that she had a cell phone, but they had pagers and stuff like that. You know, this was the nineties. So, um, there were ways to get in contact with someone and be like, Hey, this is what, where I went, or this is what happened. You know, it's like, right. Or you'd call from like your friend's house or whatever. Like, sure. Oh, Hey, I'm spending the night. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Hannah or Jennifer Edwards, Hannah's best friend, didn't believe that she would just leave, and she said that she must have paged Hannah at least 20 times with no answer, and she left voicemails, and she was like, hey, if you need help, or if you need anything, just let me know where you are. Never heard anything. So Jennifer, after that, she went around and talked to a lot of their friends to see if anybody had seen Hannah in the last, you know, that day or the day night before. Wait, so it wasn't Jennifer that she ended up talking to and then going out? Mm-mm. She talked to Jennifer, but she talked to someone else after that. Oh, and we don't know who that was. Mm-mm. Okay. So, um, she went around and asked people and she spoke to Hannah's boyfriend, Brad, and she said, do you know where she could be? Like, did you speak to her? Did she talk to you? And Jennifer, well, Brad said he hadn't talked to her. Um, Jennifer also talked to one of their mutual friends. He's a 20 year old man named Denny Ross. 20 or 28? 20. Okay. Named Denny Ross. And she explained that Hannah was missing and asked if he had seen her or spoken to her. And he said, no, I haven't seen her. Um, that um, he hadn't talked to her in a while, hadn't seen her. So two days after her disappearance, police get a call about an abandoned geoprism parked on, it was called Kane Road, on a two, or nine miles away from Hannah's house. And this was unrelated. They weren't like, hey, I found Hannah's car. They were like, hey, there's this car that's parked and it's on the street. So, police, um, an officer was dispatched, and he didn't know that there was anything wrong. You know, they they didn't have the police report even filed, the missing persons report even filed, so he didn't know that it was Hannah's car, so he just gave it a parking ticket. (laughs) Yeah, and just let it sit there. 
so, um, did they not let him file the missing persons report? I don't think, the, the thing is, I don't think that they took it too seriously. They were just kind of right. like, eh, whatever, it's not that big of a deal. And if they had known yeah. that the, if the missing persons report was in there, they would have flagged it and been like, hey, right. this is a, this is the car. And so a reporter um, for the case had commented on it and said that the police officer that went to the car, since he didn't know that it was, it belonged to a missing person, he just thought that it was parked there illegally. So the next day, Brad Oborn, he went to the police department trying to get them to find Hannah. And the police officers noticed that Brad had scratch marks on him. Hmm. Yes, and Brad explained that Hannah had scratched him during an argument that had occurred, but it was before she had disappeared. So police were obviously very suspicious because any any missing person case, um, if they, you know, actually take it seriously, finally, then they usually look at the person's spouse or boyfriend, fiance, whatever, first. So um, they were suspicious, but they didn't have any evidence to detain him. So the police then released information about the disappearance to local media, hoping for leads. And people began calling in and alerting police that Hannah's car had been parked on Kane Road. Um, two people who reported it were told to call back the next day, even though they told police that they were 100% sure that it was Hannah's car. Like, what they the still f- didn't take it very seriously. Couldn't they run the plates? I know. So police were finally dispatched the next day on May 26th, a whole week after Hannah's disappearance. Oh my gosh. When they opened Hannah's trunk, they found Hannah's naked body (gasps) in the trunk of her car. It was in there the whole time. The whole time. Oh my gosh. She was naked from the waist down and she had her sweater and bra pulled up over her chest. She had bruises and contusions um, to her face and it was obvious that she had been beaten up pretty badly. Um, the residents of Akron were pissed because they had taken so long yeah. to do anything and they were dragging their feet about it. And she had been there, the, like you said, the whole time. Mm. Um, so they did an autopsy that day and it showed that Hannah had been strangled. There was also some white residue on her lip and a bite mark on her arm. And well, a bite mark, that's good for you know dental matching yeah yeah exactly um did they say did they take pictures of brad's scratches i don't think so um but they so according to the coroner's report hannah had had sex shortly before her death the way that her body had been positioned and the bruises on her because like the her shirt had been pulled up um and she was naked from the waist down had indicated that she had been raped and at first police were only looking at Hannah's boyfriend Brad um but Akron police never released details of the interviews they conducted with Brad on the day Hannah's body was found but um which is I don't know I don't know why they didn't release anything but they did do interviews with him and then they didn't release it but then shortly after that they um changed their prime suspects they were like oh brad's not worth looking into anymore Hmm. um then they turned their attention to the man they called that she called that night that she had disappeared and it was denny ross the 20 year old friend of hers and he he was a mutual friend of brad and hannah's 
And he said he hadn't seen her in a long time. Exactly. So Hannah wasn't really good friends with Denny, but she did go, like, apparently his apartment was the party apartment. Like, he lived by himself. He didn't live with his parents. So everybody went there to just party, and they could kind of do whatever they wanted to do. Yeah. And Ross was known for his sense of humor and for being a quote-unquote ladies' man. So Jennifer Edwards, um, Hannah's best friend, said that she never really trusted him, that somebody told her that they needed to, that she needed to watch out for him because if he wanted something, he would get it. He was known to be aggressive. Mm. Then he also had a record, uh, a little bit of a criminal record, and he had been busted for selling $525 worth of cocaine to a police informant. Hmm. Pretty, uh, what's the word? It's pretty, um, anyway, whatever. I don't know. Um, and I mean, is 500 bucks worth a lot? I have no idea. In 1999, maybe? I don't know. Um, and two days before Hannah's disappearance, he had pled guilty to cocaine trafficking and received two years probation. And then on May 26th, they went to Denny's apartment. So that was the day that she was found. They went to Denny's apartment and they questioned him. And they noticed that he had a broken arm. His left arm was broken and it was in a cast. And when they asked him, he said that he had gotten in a fight with someone had broken it that way. And he had been telling friends the week after Hannah went missing when people were asking that he hadn't seen Hannah at all recently. But when officers went and talked to him, he was like, yeah, she came over to my apartment at around 11 p.m. the night that she went missing. But um, she'd said or he said that she told him that she was having problems with Brad and that she wanted to talk. And so Ross told police that they had quote unquote kissed and stuff, but they did not have intercourse. Hmm. Um, he said that she left at midnight and he hadn't seen her since then. And when did he break his arm? Well, did he say he broke He did. Well, he didn't. He said it was before she went missing. Where did he get a cast? I have no idea. Medical records? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Um, police did, I mean, it's not, it's not a question that they did a pretty shoddy job Mm. at investigating. And I think that they kind of did like a, you know, they, they didn't cover their bases and it just, they didn't do a great job through, throughout the entire thing. And at that point, I think too, like the Akron police department was kind of a joke, you know, like Mm. once they found out how long it took them and how they didn't take it very seriously and all this stuff, it's like, um, so the police, of course, were very suspicious. And, you know, the fact that he didn't tell anybody that he had had that he had seen Hannah, even though he, they asked him. Right. Yeah. Um, so that night, officers woke up a judge out of his bed while he was sleeping to get a search warrant for Ross's apartment. And in the early morning hours of May 27th, 15 officers went to Ross's apartment. When they were in there, they found spe- like specks of blood all over his apartment, like just on the walls and everywhere. Hmm. But they couldn't, they didn't know why. And he wasn't saying, of course, but um, then one of the officers went outside to have a smoke break. And when he was out there, he noticed, because, okay, so Ross's apartment was on the second floor. So for the officer to have had his smoke break, he would have had to go downstairs. And um, when he was, when he got downstairs, he noticed a black bag, a black garbage bag underneath a window outside of the apartment. And the bag had appeared to have a shoe sticking out of it. And when they opened the bag, which it wasn't tied up, it was just kind of like crumpled together. 
Underneath and his window? Underneath one of Ross's windows, yes. But down on the ground. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it had, it was a whole story down. Okay. And when they opened the bag, they found a pair of women's pants covered in blood and feces, a purse, underwear, and shoes, which were quickly identified as what Hannah was wearing the night that she went missing. Now, why the fuck would you... I mean, I'm glad he left it there, but hello, garbage, like, dumpster or whatever. I know. Stupid. I mean, it gets better. Don't wait. <laughs> or don't worry. <laughs> don't wait either. Um, so, oh, it makes me think of Dashboard. Oh. <laughs> uh, wow. Okay, I won't do it. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I was thinking, <laughs> don't worry, monster drugs. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, um, once they found the bag, they quickly arrested Denny Ross for aggravated murder and rape, and they also charged him for other felonies, but it wasn't clear about what exactly the other felonies were. Why would he kill her, though? I don't know. I mean, I guess if you rape her and she knows you, you have, then you have a witness, but just, ugh, I hate people losing their lives over stupid shit like that. I know. Get a hooker if you want to have sex. Exactly. I know. So, of course, the police officers were sure that they had the man who killed hannah well denny's father his name is alan ross he was like denny has maintained his innocence through this entire thing i know my son he would never do this so he fought for his innocence and he quickly assembled a team of defense lawyers of course and they looked at the evidence that the prosecutors had or like the state had against denny which is a lot. A lot, yes. So they had also found that found out that the semen that was on Hannah's underwear belonged to Denny. Right. Um, and they found blood in the apartment, right? They did, but it didn't match Hannah's at all. Was it his blood? There was some that was Denny's, but then some that was just, un, like, you couldn't tell whose it was. And I know that it's hard to tell whose blood is whose if it's mixed if it mixes, together. yeah. But, um, so they also had like the bite mark on Hannah's arm Mm -hmm. seemed to match Denny's teeth. And, um, they also like, they kept looking, but they seemed to find holes in the case that they felt like could help them. The defense did. So, um, lead defense attorney, his name is David Chesnov said, I believe that the police department and the prosecutor's office did a very poor job of investigation. And he said that the defense believed that they rushed to make a decision about to prosecute Denny. Like they just wanted to find the person who did it. And they were like, you'll do. You have the most evidence stacked against you. Yeah, but why would any of that shit be there if he didn't do it? Oh, totally. But they, you know how it is. I mean, you've got to grab for straws or whatever you can, you know, just because he raped her doesn't make him a murderer. Exactly. But they were saying that there wasn't enough evidence to say that he did rape her, but they were also said that, um, they, so they pointed out that the police officers, they just looked at Denny. They didn't look at any other suspects. They also, um, said that they quickly dismissed Hannah's boyfriend, Brad, and they said, or the prosecutor said that the reason was simple. And he said there was a lot of innuendo of his guilt, but never any evidence of Brad's guilt. And they also said that while he had been questioned the day that they found Hannah, they gave him a polygraph test and he passed it, which is not admissible in court, but they had reason to believe that it wasn't him. 
So the defense team said that the prosecution didn't look into the fact that Denny's apartment was adjacent. Get this. It was adjacent to an adult bookstore and lots of mischief and mayhem and law breaking happens at adult bookstores. So why would they go immediately to Denny when he lived so close to this? And they also said that um, in Hannah's car, there were all kinds of fast food receipts and wrappers, and they never went to any of those places to figure out if she had been seen there. They never like looked into that kind of stuff. Um, they also said that, of course, they said about the evidence in Ross's apartment, they had no f- physical evidence placing Ross in Hannah's car. Um, and they also said that none of the blood in Ross's apartment was Hannah's. Um, they also um, said that... Um, the state's case didn't seem logical. They said, or the, like there was a reporter that said, here's a man with a broken left arm who drug a corpse down a flight of stairs. Um, he put her body in the trunk of her own car and then drove it a mile and a half away and left it there and then took her clothes and her pants and all these things off of her, put them in a bag and brought them home with him. Like there was no reason to do this. If... If it wasn't his semen on her... Now, if they said there was evidence that she'd had sex before she died, there should have been semen or some sort of DNA on her body, right? Mm-hmm. But do they, did they say whose DNA that was? What if... Just playing devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. What if the only thing is the semen on her underwear, if it matches him, but if it was outside the apartment, what if, like the boyfriend did kill her, but then he just dropped that bag of shit off outside of his house. And he's like, Denny did it. Yeah. I mean, very true. But then, then Denny would have had to come downstairs and with one arm, whack it and get a semen in the bag. Exactly. Accidentally. Yeah. And if I learned anything from super bad, it's, you would think that semen was everywhere, but it's just not. Right. This is a golden ticket. There is semen. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So the defense was saying that the prosecution had no concrete evidence. They had only had pieces of circumstantial evidence. Yeah, and circumstantial evidence is a lot of times better than anything else. Well, because, I, and that's what the prosecution said. They were like, when do you, when is there ever, has there ever been a case where there has been concrete evidence like it doesn't happen you have to have the circumstantial evidence like that's what cases are yeah you have both like you have both circumstantial and physical his semen is on her clothing if he did not see her that night then why is that there exactly if they were not in a relationship then why was that there and also if so if it appeared that she had been raped the only semen that they found in or around her body or something that she had been wearing that at that moment, why would it be Denny's if he didn't, you know what I mean? Like right. there would be some unknown or, you know, like an unknown yeah, DNA profile. Right. Or something. Exactly. So the trial began on October 17th, 2000. The prosecution opened with a statement that claimed that they didn't have the quote-unquote smoking gun, but they did have enough circumstantial evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Denny had raped and strangled Hannah Hill. I mean, I would call that bag of shit a smoking gun. I know! Um, So the defense, uh, the defense's opening statement claimed that in their haste to make an arrest, 
and try someone, the state didn't take into account the possibility of other suspects and that they wouldn't be able to make its case. But they, they did. They looked at Brad first. I know, but they were, it was like, you know, they were trying to downplay it and dismiss it and be like, because that helped their case, you know? Yeah. Um, so the first witness called was by the state and it was Hannah's best friend, Jennifer. And Jennifer claimed that Ross had lied to her multiple times in the week before Hannah's body was found saying that he had never seen her, that, um, he said he, Hannah had not been in his apartment and all that was a lie, obviously. And, um, that was pretty damning to the defense's case, but yeah. Then they called several Akron police officers and asked about the bag of clothes they found outside Ross's apartment. And the officers claimed that they heard a noise outside the building while they were climbing the stairs to go back up, and it was like a thud. And um, they went around and they said that it must have been the noise that, like, Ross throwing the bag of clothes outside of the window, like, just dropping it. Mm. And then... One of the officers said that it sounded like a thud and that he wasn't in the position. He couldn't see the, he couldn't see him drop the bag, but he heard the thud. He saw the bag. That's what happened. So the defense claimed that it didn't make any sense for him to have a bag of clothes or have the bag of clothes. And they said, because they like, why would he do if he, if he had done it, why would he keep that? Like, there's no reason for him to have kept it. Well, no, it doesn't make sense, but but neither does keep right mementos all the time yeah and it it none of it makes sense like if you're a person who's not somebody who's killed somebody or raped somebody then you can't make sense of any of it exactly it none of it makes sense there's no reason for it to have happened but some people do keep stuff like you said like little trophies and mementos Yeah. yeah exactly and i mean some killers will hide the bodies in a place where they go back so they can like have sex with corpses that's that's another way for them to re it's like a way for them to relive everything. Well, and to, just to that, for that to be your only explanation is like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like that's, that's stupid to have done that. Well, a lot of people do stupid shit. <laughs> like, yeah. And how are you going to, that's what gets them caught. Yeah. How, how can you make sense of a, a killer's right. motives? If we could yeah. do that, then we would either all be killers. Yeah, Cause or- if you're a sane person who that never crosses your mind, then you know, that's never going to make any sense. Exactly. So this is what they said. This is what they claimed happened. They said, clearly, I mean, of course, Denny would not have had that bag of clothes there. So obviously they're not saying it was the police, but somebody, maybe the killer planted it there. Like you said, maybe the police planted it there. And one of the jurors after the case, he was interviewed and he said, yeah, I mean, when it, when the bag fell, it fell from the, the second floor. It wasn't, tied up or anything how did nothing fall out of it like that doesn't make any sense to me and so they really didn't I mean that was they made that point fairly well I guess because people were like that didn't make any sense well I don't know I mean it was it a big bag I mean, it wasn't tied but is it like a black garbage bag mm-hmm. well if you've got stuff weighing down the bottom if you drop it just so like yeah. if you hold it by yeah, the thing like and you that, just yeah. drop it, it'll, it will land. Right. It'll just land. Like, it's not like if it was a Kroger bag, then I could see stuff would fly out of it as it landed. Mm-hmm. But if it's big enough and there's not that much in it, then I, yeah, if we drop something from this right here, I, I bet my ass not shit would fall out of it. <laughs> that dog ain't going to hunt. And I would, I would say that in court. <laughs> I bet my ass it wouldn't. <laughs> that would be my closing argument. 
I'm going to take a bag, put it on the second floor, and I bet you my ass that shit ain't going to fall out. I rest my case. <laughs> um, yes. So, they also stated that the state didn't have any actual evidence that Denny had raped Hannah. Like, sure, Except they had, had the sex, <laughs> but he said that, they said that he didn't, there's no case that, you know, they didn't have enough evidence to say that he had been, he had raped her. And that the semen hadn't been inside of her body, but only on the underwear. And they disputed the rape charge altogether. They said it didn't happen. So maybe he pulled out. I don't know. They also said that the autopsy showed that she had had sex before she was murdered, but there was no vaginal tearing or any other injuries conclusive to rape. And that the coroner, when they um, interviewed him, he couldn't give a medical opinion, like a legit medical opinion of whether or not she had been raped. Mm. But you can be raped without being... Yeah, I mean, I guess it would depend on... Well, okay, what about this? What if he had... I mean, I'm sure they did toxicology or something, but if he had drugged her of some kind and then raped her, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have had to have been to fight as or forceful. Yeah, because she wouldn't have been fighting. Maybe he gave her alcohol and she was really drunk and passed out or something like that. Whoa. Yeah, I don't know what the, that was in my throat. But <sighs> I think that there are ways that you know, probably that could happen and it not necessarily be tearing or anything. I mean, I feel like you could even have, I don't want to get too weird, but like, I feel like you could even have fairly rough sex and not have tearing. tearing. Yeah. I mean, that just seems kind of like the only way you can be raped is if you have any tearing and that doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah. I don't think, I think that there's, I think it's probably really hard to prove a rape when the person is now dead because you would kind of have to have them say it wasn't consensual or yeah, it was. I wanted to or I didn't want to because I think that you could have depending now if she was like raped with an object then I think you would see more damage but if I mean it would be hard to prove one way or the other because I do think that you could have consensual sex that could look like evidence of a rape and vice versa oh, absolutely so lead prosecutor John Grevin stated we aren't surprised that he couldn't find any evidence of rape. Rape is a legal term. It's not a medical one. And you can have a clear rape without any physical evidence whatsoever. Yeah. Exactly. exactly what we just said. Yeah. We're basically prosecutors. Exactly. Um, you're out of order. <laughs> um, the state also called a chemist from Goodyear. So Akron, Ohio was known as the rubber king. They were the ones that like Michelin, I think in Goodyear, hmm. they have plants there at one point or maybe still. So they called a chemist from the Goodyear plant and he said that the white residue that was on Hannah's lip could have come from Denny's cast. Mm, interesting. The plot thickens. Um, I think it needed to, but... <laughs> right. But it did. <laughs> but it did. But the bitch did. Um, that same... He said that the same fibers um, that were found on her lip were identical to that that they used to make casts out of. Hmm. Um, and... So it could have been, like, using that arm to hold her, like, face down or mm-hmm. something. Like, smother her or something or whatever. I mean, I don't know. Um, not probably smother her, but yeah. So while being cross-examined, the defense team got the chemist to admit that the residue could have come from other things, of course. Well, yeah, of Um, course. They also said that the material could also be found, um, or could, is the the material that goes into what makes, like, what you would use to make a car trunk out of, or like the inside of a car trunk. But as far as I know, the inside of a car trunk wasn't white. Right. So, again, that dog ain't gonna hunt. Well, yeah, and if... 
even if it is part of what makes up the materials of the inside of the car she was not found face down right she was found face up right so Mm -hmm. she's not sitting there resting on it and that's not like right well they also i mean that that was one of the things that they said but they they said it could it it's materials that could be found in lots and lots of things yeah so after eight days of trial the state rested its case the jurors were ready to hear the defense's side but the defense decided not to call any witnesses which was like crazy everybody like one of the jurors said that you could hear a pin drop and like everybody gasp when they were like we we've said everything we need to say wow um because they don't have anything well they said they felt like their cross-examination was sufficient to provide reasonable doubt they were like we've done everything we need to do they were very cocky about this the only reasonable doubt i think they managed was the cast material like that's really the only thing like i think that's probably not a point for or against either one of them it mm-hmm. kind of canceled out because okay it could be consistent with the cast, but it could also be consistent with other things. All right, so what? But now you've still got all of these other things that are left. Yeah, but it could also be consistent with the fucking cast. Like, right. <laughs> I know. So um, on October 26th, 2000, both sides made their closing arguments, and then the decision went to the jury. So the judge, her name is Jane Bond, she said that the only way that the jury could charge Denny Ross as guilty of either aggravated murder or the lesser charge of murder, which I don't know if that's first degree, second degree. I don't know the difference between the aggravated and what just makes, murder. I think usual. I mean, I get. I don't know if it's different in different states, but aggravated is usually I feel like, like force, or well, I probably aggravated is because of the rape with it. That's probably why they say aggravated because it's like um, extenuating circumstances, like with a. Um, with a specific kind of weapon, like a felony okay. or, or like if a felony is committed during the act of a murder, um, I think probably rape. Well, cause she said for him to eat, to be found guilty of either aggravated murder or murder, they would also have to find him guilty of rape. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, then she said if they did not find Denny Ross guilty of rape, then they could charge him with manslaughter, but they- I don't see why that removes murder. I can see why that in, removes aggravated but not murder no that's what that's those were her conditions yeah murder is murder bitch i know sorry jane (laughs) jane bond (laughs) um so then they began their deliberations at 9 a.m and at first the jury was divided some said that they thought he did it some said that they didn't um they did a poll and began to get into the evidence and the first thing that they looked at was the bag of clothes that's when the juror said that if it had been dropped it would have been open. Things would have spilled out. Um, that it didn't make any sense because it wasn't tied up. So he thought that it was planted there, basically. I mean, it a wasn't second his. story is not that far. I know. It's not like, like four no. stories or like, something. Andrew, my husband, when he was two or three years old, jumped off of a second story balcony to get a ball that he was bouncing around. It fell off. And he didn't even fucking break anything. He landed like a cat. I think, though... If you're that stupid, I think there's some, it goes, goes along with the territory. Like if you're so stupid, then you won't, you will not break anything. (laughs) Yeah. He was probably like stupid loose, but (laughs) limber. Exactly. Yes. He limbered up. But it's not that far. I mean, if a kid can jump off a second story balcony and not hurt themselves, then I mean, a bag can, yeah, yeah. a a big bag, not full of stuff. How do we know that he didn't cartoon style? attach a little parachute to it and it just drifted down and then the parachute disintegrated self-destructing parachute <laughs> exactly it's possible it was like 
And then it just destructed. That's probably what the prosecution said. They were like, but is it your testimony, though, that you can't rule out a self-destructing parachute? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Got him. Um, So then they went into the state's case or the state's evidence for rape. And they said just to find the semen on her underwear didn't prove that she was raped. That the doctor who first gave testimony said that she he could not say that she had been raped or not they're about to piss me off so piss me off i know (laughs) the jury then took their first break for lunch around noon and while they were on their break the juror alicia bittner was approached by one of the male jurors with a comment she found disturbing she said he came up to me and said i don't know what all this fuss is about denny's guilty because the boyfriend passed a polygraph test but that information about the polygraph test had not been released right. until the the trial had already been going on. And one of the rules that the like Judge Jane Bond had said was that you're not supposed to use that. To make she your said you're not even supposed to like don't listen to anything right. that the media has said. Like don't you know no news articles, no reports, no anything. So um, the Beacon Journal is the one that put out that trial or that trial that um article and it had come out during the trial so alicia bittner went to the foreman after the break and told him what the the other juror had said and she said she didn't know what was going to happen but she just told him and he was like mother i know (laughs) so the next morning the jury began voting on all the charges and they all agreed that there had been no rape hmm need a minute yeah yeah i think i do especially like women being on that jury like how can you look at that and you maybe you know you can't say that there was so i guess that's reasonable doubt i guess if you can't confirm that there was but i mean you can't say that it wasn't there was no reason for her to have sex with him right like nobody nobody got up there and said that they were having a secret affair Nobody got up there and said, you know, I knew that they had a relationship together or that she and Brad were on a break and maybe she went out and had sex with somebody. Like, none of that happened. Right. Like, at least in the Rodney Reed case, technically they didn't think they should have found his semen on her body, Stacey Stites, but then a lot of people came forward and said they were actually... They were having a relationship, just her fiancé didn't know about it. Absolutely, yeah. So, there's no... There, there was just nothing that would have tied them together in a sexual way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, they began filling out the forms acquitting Ross of murder and rape charges. Because God. if there was no rape, then there was no murder. And some of the jur- jurors said that they had a really, really hard time saying he was not guilty because they were still on the fence, but the whole reasonable doubt thing. Like, they couldn't say that 100% he had raped her. So then... Um, they still could convict him of involuntary manslaughter, which what carries like, a charge of like seven to ten years or something. Or, yeah, I mean, it's like, like yeah, yeah. So then, um, they broke for lunch, and when they reconvened around two, they started going over the evidence again, and they, um, were stopped by Judge Jane Bond, who had received a note from the foreman during their lunch. And so the bailiff came in and told them to stop talking about the case, that they could sit there, do whatever they wanted. They could play cards. They could, you know, 
read a book, whatever, but just do not talk about the case anymore. And while they were waiting, the judge met with the lawyers from both the defense and the prosecution. And Judge Bond told the attorneys about the note that she had received and that she said that a juror had known about the polygraph test and it had not been uh, discussed in the trial. And the defense wanted to know if the juror who knew about the polygraph test could be released and then they'd have a fair jury. The prosecution wanted it to be declared a mistrial Mm -hmm. and have him tried again. And the defense claimed they were sure that the jury would find Ross not guilty and didn't want him to be subjected to another trial. Then the judge brought in Denny Ross and asked him if he would like to have a mistrial or to just release that juror. And well, I know. And Denny was like, I would like to have the juror released. I do not want to have a mistrial. Right. So she said, you understand there is a juror who knows about the evidence that wasn't released in the trial and believes you are guilty. And he said, yes. And she said, or after 10 minutes of deliberation, the judge ruled a mistrial. She was like, fuck you. It's a mistrial. So then the judge went into the deliberation room and told the jury and the jury was stunned. They were like, they felt that they were robbed of that because they had been working on the case or like listening to the case for so long. And they felt like they didn't have the fair chance to like try him for the manslaughter. So during this, the defense starts putting together a case for an appeal on the mistrial. Um, but during that, so they also believed that since judge bond did not explore all options before declaring it a mistrial, that she hadn't met the fifth amendment standard for a mistrial. And it's known as manifest necessity. And what that means basically is for you or for a judge to declare it a mistrial, that means that that's the only thing left that you can do. Like you can't fix it in other ways a mistrial is like the last effort that you you know the last um but the thing is if they had just released that one juror it still taints the other people because he told because he told them and they shouldn't have known about it either so now you've got other people knowing information that was not part of the trial oh totally so the defense also felt that since the jurors had signed the documents finding Ross not guilty of rape and murder, that they were legal and binding. <laughs> yes. Well, but they know how jury works, so if you know something outside of it that's not okay, that kind of nullifies those documents. Oh, no, I know. That's what the prosecution said. Right. But um, they said that since... They were like, but you after- said, and you... Like, you said cross my heart, so it's done. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they also said that if Denny Ross were to be tried again, it would constitute double jeopardy, according to them. Because they said if they declared a mistrial since the jury all signed off on the document saying that they were acquitting him of murder and rape, Mm -hmm. that to try him again would definitely be double jeopardy. And... Prosecutor John Grevin said that the verdicts had been invalid because the jury had been tainted, like we just said. So in February 2002, you're not ready, Terrell, you're not ready for it. In February 2002, an appellate judge had ruled that Judge Bond had not met the standards of manifest necessity, that she had ruled it a mistrial too early, and that for him to be tried again would constitute as double jeopardy. So Denny was released. Wait a minute. 
So what were the other options? Getting rid of that juror or something? I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. So that's, that was where I thought the story ended. And then I dug a little deeper because I was like, there's no way. I mean, just because they decided, I mean, I was pissed, obviously. Like you get hot about it in what world? Because obviously Danny Ross fucking did it. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like what is their explanation? The defense's explanation for all of the material that they found at his apartment. Right. Right. It had been planted there. But yeah, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like the most open and shut case in my opinion I felt like it was like how how is this the real world right now and also I just don't understand why you would have to find him guilty of rape to find him guilty of murder you do not have to commit a rape to commit a murder I know exactly like the two are not mutually you right you can say it was an aggravated murder but you can still find him guilty of murder because she's fucking dead exactly like what the fuck so after that so this is February 2002 in 2003, Denny went to a bar in Akron. He picked up a 32-year-old woman named Jennifer Tittle. He brought her and another couple that he had met at the bar back to his home. He, um, the couple, or all of them, no, they didn't, I'm sorry, they didn't bring him. (laughs) He went back to her home. So the couple and Denny Ross went back to her home. They were hanging out. The couple left. Denny was about to leave and he was like, I actually need to use the bathroom. So he goes upstairs to the upstairs bathroom. He had been gone for like 10 minutes and she was like, something's going on there. I'm going to check on him and see if it's okay. So she goes upstairs and she can't find him. She turns around and he beats the hell out of her. So he stabbed her multiple times in the jaw. Oh my God. He broke her jaw. Um, he beat her up in the face. He raped her and he choked her Hmm. and he left her for dead. So Jennifer said he picked the wrong girl. He didn't think that I would fight back. So he was left or she was left for dead. Um, he, she obviously went cause he said, if you tell anyone, cause she had small children, if you tell anyone, I will, um, come back and kill your children. So he takes oh her favorite picture God. of her children with him when he leaves. Fuck that guy. I know. So she was scared to call the police, but she called her boyfriend. I guess she had a boyfriend at the time and he called the police and they reported it. So he was picked up. He went on trial the next year and was convicted of single counts of rape and attempted murder, kidnapping and intimidation of a crime victim and two counts of felon, felonious assault, felonious. Oh my God. Close enough. (laughs) Um, he was sentenced to 25 years in prison and, this is, I mean, the whole thing pisses me off, but when asked what he thought of his son's conviction, because Alan Ross was very, very big, especially in the Hannah Hill case where he was like, he didn't do it. He's innocent. I can't believe that they would try, you know, judge him and all this stuff. Alan Ross said, it's kind of hard when you're 25 years old and you have women coming onto you all the time. It's a tough situation. And sometimes it's hard to say no, isn't it? That's what he said about Jennifer Tittle. What? So he had to beat her up because she was coming on to him. Is this what he's saying? Apparently. And had to stab her and leave her for dead mm-hmm. and take a picture of her children. Mm-hmm. Can we arrest her dad too? His dad. His dad. Yes. I yes, will, we can. I will do it. Yes. Citizens arrest. 
So then a lengthy series of state and federal appeals followed with both sides battling over the double jeopardy issue until the Ohio Supreme Court ruled in December 2010. So this is 11 years after Hannah Hill's death that prosecutors could no longer or no longer could seek the death penalty. But as part of that decision, the high court also ruled Ross must stand trial again. So they were going to retry him for Hannah Hill's case in 2012. Denny was retried for Hannah Hill's murder. Retried. Retried. That's so fancy. <laughs> well, I fucked up felonious, <laughs> so I needed to <laughs> I needed to redeem myself. Um, prosecutors in the retrial <laughs> tied tied Ross to Hill's car with DNA evidence that had not come to light in the first trial because there it, the the technology wasn't there yet. So um, um yeah, that's true. I don't know how you say this, Cuyahoga County Assistant Prosecutor Matthew Meyer, stressing in closing arguments that the revelation became possible through advances in genetic testing. And he said that the blood spot that was found in the left armpit of Hill's shirt matched Ross's. And a jury found Ross guilty of murder, felony murder with felonious assault as a Oh, God. Is it predicate offense? I think so. Predicate. Yes. Tampering with evidence, gross abuse of a corpse, and felonious assault. The trial court ordered Ross to serve 19 years to life in prison. And afterwards, Brad Oborn, who was her boyfriend at the time, said he was relieved for Hannah Hill's family because they found out that Ross was found guilty of... Um, murder and sentenced to life or 19 years to life in prison on Hannah's dad's 76th birthday. And her dad said it was the best birthday present he had, he could ever get. It was like bittersweet, you know, he handed it all right. to God. He said that he didn't, he didn't worry about it anymore, but he was really glad that it came out this way. But, um, Brad said that he was relieved for Hannah's family and that they finally got justice through a decision rooted in the law and he said, you know, she never would have met Denny Ross if it wasn't for me. I don't know. It doesn't bring Hannah back, but this is going to loom over my head, he said, for the rest of my life. Hmm. I know. That sucks. So that's it. That's it. You know, I don't understand. So wait, he ended up getting 19 to life for her and then 25 for the other? Mm-hmm. And so... So he will be up for parole when he is 64 years old, I think, mm. 64, 65. And um, Hannah's, or I think it was Jennifer's brother was like, it's not, he'll never get, he'll never be released. Like, he, they don't think that he'll ever be released. But yeah, of course, the family not. are going to be there too, at, yeah. you know, when he's up for parole. For I mean, the only way I'd be stuff. okay with him being released is if they somehow, like, Remove his, his dick sex off. drive. Yeah, because he can't... I mean, your dick still works at 64 for most people. Mm-hmm. Hugh well, Hefner's I was going to anyway. say Hugh Hefner. <laughs> but, like... R.I.P. Because... So, you have what he did to Hannah, and we know he did it, mm-hmm. and then he turned around and tried to do it again to another person. So, why the fuck would you not... I mean, just in our justice system, I mean, I think a life sentence isn't out of the realm here. Mm-hmm. Because... He's dangerous to society. Absolutely. It's not a, not that murder or rape or anything is ever okay, but it's not like, 
you know, this was a person who slighted him or this or that or whatever. It's like he goes out and he picks up just another random person. This could happen to anybody right. who comes across him. Right. He's dangerous. And these kind of people who commit rapes like that and anything that has kidnapping in it, I mean, I'm just really not... I don't... Like, kidnapping is, to me, you're just... I don't know. I think that there are some people who are um, able to be rehabilitated, but I don't think kidnapping in that sense is is something that's right that can be yeah especially when it leads to murder absolutely i also think i mean obviously the the technological advances nobody can help that um but i personally feel like there was enough evidence there to convict him of hannah's yeah in the first place in the first place and, and then this never happens to jennifer exactly and it's just really really sad because Um, and when I was looking at interviews and stuff from either media or, um, prosecutors or whatever, they were saying that, like, I think across the board, everybody was like, um, the state didn't have a lot to work with as far as a case goes, because the police didn't do a very good job at investigating it. But they also said that the police could be mad because the state didn't really, provide a good case either I don't know I wasn't there for it I didn't hear the entire test or the you know the entire trial but I just feel like it's really sad because justice wasn't served in the first place and then he went on to do more things and right um I also read up apparently Denny's dad like uh, Alan Ross was involved in a big internet scam and um like cheated people out of like hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah i mean the whole family itself is just like Hmm. pretty shitty so that sucks yeah um so yeah that's that's the case um well i'm glad at least it it did get yeah and i'm really glad too because jennifer tittle she so it said i mean most rape victims don't they they're anonymous like you know they they won't testify they won't um but she was like i needed to tell the story because i needed other people to you know like she was being strong for everybody and she was like right. it was hard to face him in court and she didn't want to but she was like i had to do it yeah. and if she hadn't who knows exactly how many other victims would he have had absolutely yeah because i don't and that's something that we've talked about before i don't think that you just like you just said i don't think you just stop doing something like that you know Mm -mm. especially in his case and so even if he didn't plan on i mean i don't know i don't know i think obviously he planned on murdering jennifer he planned on maybe murdering hannah maybe it was one of those things where he like got into a sexual like a rape and was really rough and strangled and then i don't know i don't know but yeah Either way, he's a bad mofo. Yeah. Well, fuck that guy. I know, exactly. Um, Do we have time for just a couple shout-outs? Yeah, we do. Okay, so we got some five-star reviews, which we always appreciate. Uh, J. Jones, 1973, thank you. I'm not going to read them all. I'm just going to shout-out the people. Uh, Cake's Mate, I think. (laughs) Um, Glad you're loving it. Uh, Justice, 1969, says one of my favorites. Um, JAF9623712 says, need more episodes, please. Alana, I hope I said that right, says, great podcast. She also says, you should look into the Paradise Lost Murders, which 
I am on the third um, documentary of that right now. I mean, I, I've heard about the case a lot in the past, um, but I'm finally getting around to the documentaries, so we'll probably end up doing that one at some point. Um, and thank you so much for the suggestion. Thank you for everything. I mean, just the oh yeah, the reviews and the everything. But yeah, we appreciate a good suggestion. Helps. Yeah. Beebs four one seven says obsessed. Kim Bays says yes, love it. Yeah. Uh, Brit N one two one four says love it. And then we did get one that was three stars. B bed oh bed good Raquel. Um, she did not like that we sometimes talk in the middle. It says, uh, stop the story to make small talk about absolutely nothing. Um, and then she says, I'm not trying to be mean because I like the stories, but just because true crime podcasting is popular doesn't mean it's for everyone. So (laughs) thanks. Um, I really do enjoy if you're going to say something, you know, like constructive criticism or whatever, if you can make it pretty funny and I, I really do find that one pretty funny. Yeah, it is. I enjoy funny. it. But I think we have made more of an effort to stick to, you know, after reading that stick to banter that just relates to the podcast. I mean, some of it is, you know, it's like a, a lot of the reviews that we get say that, you know, I feel like I'm hanging out with friends and whatever. So, you know, sometimes we just let a little bit of ourselves show through, but yeah, you know, we'll try to stick more to the stories. Um, you know, whatever. And so we appreciate all, all feedback. So we've, uh, tried to make some changes with that and let us know if there's anything else that we can either change or we can keep on doing. So yeah, we and, do appreciate it. Um, and then we are, uh, working on some more episodes. So, uh, maternity leave is over in like two weeks. So hopefully I'll, it's funny, but I'm thinking when I go back to work, I'm going to have more time. So it's just been a wild ride. We've had some tummy issues and things for the baby. So. And if I feel like if there is ever a time when you guys think that you need maybe less of Torella and more of Tori, then I'm, I'm reading you loud and clear, and I wouldn't mind it at all. <laughs> yeah, actually, this is where I'm saying I quit. <laughs> I'm done. They just want more talent and less fluff. You know what I mean? So Right, and Jesse's like... Yeah, Actually, maybe Jesse him. can replace Torella on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, he can come on and do some ah <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, like that. Okay. So anyway, and heavy um, breathing. Yep, heavy breathing. Well, thank so, you so much as always. Everyone. Oh, and we had some fun Instagram uh, things too. I shouted those people out on Instagram, and I'm about to get real fucking creative with Instagram stories. So if you're not following us on Instagram, do it because I'm gonna have some fun um, quizzes and shit. And who doesn't love a good quiz? <laughs> and it's probably going to take me nine years to do it, but like be on the lookout. Yeah. I'm putting out a bolo. <laughs> anyway. Um, that was anyway. Dumb. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Trip thank friend. you so much. Have a good rest of the day. See ya. Love you, mean it. Bye. Bye.